Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today's podcast, I want to pause for a moment and give a heartfelt thank you to Genentech for sponsoring today's show. We're sitting down with one of FACT's newest team members, Elisa Word, Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, to learn about FACT's vision and plans to expand our DEI initiatives within the food allergy community. Ms. Word brings years of experience in this area, and she will also touch on beautiful and wonderful things to do to celebrate Black History Month. Welcome back, Elisa, to FACT's Roundtable Podcast. But today, you return to the podcast as FACT's Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. I am absolutely thrilled to officially welcome you to the team. Thank you so much, Caroline. It's definitely part of a journey for everybody, so I'm excited to be involved. Well, we're absolutely ecstatic to have you on the team and very honored as well. Prior to the last two years, we didn't hear the term diversity, equity, and inclusion very often, but now the term DEI work is becoming real commonplace. But Elisa, I know you have been working in this area for years, both professionally and as an advocate. Therefore, can you please share your rich and deep background with our listeners so they can get to know you better? It's really interesting because my passion for DEI work was very well fueled by the food allergy community and being involved with families and realizing that families were going through a lot. With that, being able to work with families and to support and help them to get through their journey, realizing that there was a cultural component to everything that needed to be addressed. In addressing that, I realized that there was this passion for it. It started with my own support group at the time, the Food Allergic Multicultural Society. And with that particular society, it really took into consideration things like if you have a family that has rich Indian culture, perhaps there are spices and foods and things of that nature that they ate that would be different than, say, you or I or someone else. And really seeing how there were so many shifts in cultural norms of what was acceptable, what was not acceptable, what was recognized, what was not. And then fast forward, becoming an emotional intelligence coach and realizing that in order for you to be able to put forth any real sustainable efforts in the DEI space, you have to be emotionally intelligent or basically it's just FaceTime and checking a box. And that's what we don't want. We don't want to just check the box. Absolutely not. We don't. We want to move the needle forward and keep it moving forward. Every time we talk, I learn something new about you. It is amazing. Thank you so much for that. I think, you know, we're all multidimensional, right? This is very true. 
let's start at the base and start building upward. Let's start with explaining and understanding what exactly is diversity, equity, and inclusion. There are so many different definitions about diversity, equity, and inclusion. There are so many comparisons. I'm an analogy kind of person because I think analogies stick, right? And people have said, you know, diversity is picking different kinds of fruit and inclusion is what you do with them and you make them something. I say that diversity basically is really just the landscape of the world that we live in. We are diverse. We're naturally diverse. It's not something new. It's just a matter of being able to look at the differences in people and realize that there's something greater, there's something richer that you can do with them. The inclusion part is allowing the opportunity for everyone to have a seat at the table. The equity part is when you make sure every one of those seats is at the same level. That's the difference. If my seat's higher than yours, how much can I really add value to that particular situation? That is a very excellent visual and easy to understand explanation. Where were you a few years ago when we were all kind of struggling with the beginning of this? (laughs) You know, the DEI work, it's been around. It's just been something more so that people have looked at in the corporate sector and then in other sectors from a civil rights perspective, but just day-to-day living, really actually doing the work instead of having a figurehead for DEI in organizations, that's the part that's shifted. That's the part that's changed. And that's the part where we're actually calling people to task and saying, we can no longer say that you're doing the work. We want to be able to measure this. Where are the benchmarks? Where are the metrics? Where are the key performance indicators for leaders in your organization to show that you're really doing the work and that it's actually reflective of the communities that you serve? Excellent. Now that we understand what DEI means, looking at the food allergy community specifically, where do you see the challenges? And also maybe there are a few successes out there in terms of DEI. If you can just dive a little deeper into that. I think that there are some organizations that are starting to really notice that they need to do something about this regards to the food allergy community. I don't know if you've recently seen in much of the media, there was a gentleman who created some illustrations, medical illustrations. And instead of them being the traditional illustrations, they were people of color. Because typically, when you look at medical illustrations, you don't see people of color. And that might not be a big deal to some people. But to other people, when you constantly feel underrepresented, it makes you wonder, do people understand the different dynamics of what's happening with me and my culture? Some people think that this is a way to begin to create more division and to segregate people. But in, instead, it's not. It's not a call out. It's actually a call in. And it gives us an opportunity to say that in this particular culture or ethnicity, there may be some things that are more indicative of how this particular culture or ethnicity deals with a certain health issue. There may be some things that are more predominant in a certain culture. And we need to take those into consideration when we're dealing with any healthcare issue, because there are, you know, a lot of comorbidities there. There are a lot of different things that kind of intertwine. And how do those things work? So it's not about creating a space of being separate. It's about creating a safe space for those who feel separate to be able to brought in instead of feeling that they are always excluded. And I think for healthcare, it's huge. 
Back to what you were saying about the medical illustrations, that makes complete sense. And then even just talking about this right now, how do you deal with eczema and atopic disease and different things like that when you are looking at charts and photos on the internet and everything, a skin that isn't quite like yours? So then how do you function with that? It's difficult. I will share something that I've actually shared in a couple of different public arenas before, particular incident that we experienced with my own daughter and being in an emergency situation in a more suburban area in Georgia. And she started to have a secondary reaction, which, you know, is often referred to as a biphasic reaction. And when she had that, the particular provider we had at the time didn't recognize that her face started flushing. Well, her skin was more brown. So he didn't see that, but I saw that. There was also a male nurse who was there who happened to be, I, I don't know if he was African-American or if he just was a Black American, but like, I don't know Caribbean culture, he, but in any event, because I don't want to assume, right? Um, but this particular gentleman, because of his own skin tone and knowing, he saw it as well. And it was really tough that day because he didn't want to cross the doctor. But at the same time, Here we are in this space where I see the flushing start so I can see the reaction coming back. So from for a medical professional who's just not used to dealing with certain people and certain skin tones, a lot of times somebody would, you know, bash this person. But if this is not what they've been even accustomed to with the illustrations they've seen or the patient loads that they've cared for, unfortunately, that puts them also at a disadvantage and it creates a barrier to access for equitable health care for everyone. That sums up what we're trying to deal with, right, is to break down those barriers in the healthcare area and specifically in our food allergy world. Absolutely. It's so very important. So I I can't stress enough that we have to get away from the mindset of as we begin to dig deeper into dealing with families that have different cultural experiences, different ethnic experiences, that there's no division that's happening. It, this is actually a beautiful opportunity to be able to say, tell me about your rich culture. Tell me about your history. Tell me about the way that things are typically done so that we can make sure that we're mindful of that. And you can even enlighten us so that we can continue to support people in various communities. Just a quick sidebar here. When Cyrus was two years old, we moved back to the San Francisco Bay Area, and the pediatrician I found specifically started every new patient visit with questions about culture. And she asked, what is your cultural background? What things have your grandmother told you? What are your belief systems about allergies and asthma? She goes, because I want to look at those, and we're going to incorporate this in his health care. And I just found that just fascinating and lovely. I just felt so embraced and also not disregarded that she wanted to know, what did grandma tell you? Because there's a lot of wives tales that go throughout the cultures we live in with our family. And so it was really amazing. And that was just one of the best doctors we've had. I think that's great because I think one of the things that happens and one of my favorite terms I use often is sometimes just because we have natural biases that happen with us, we can become what is considered to be ontologically arrogant, where we really begin to think that our reality is that of others. All things are not created equal. And your experience and my experience may be different. And you may even know other people of color. You may know when someone who's Black or someone who's of Asian descent or Mexican or Hispanic or Latino or whatever, but that person does not represent every person 
within that culture, right? So we have to begin to have conversations so that we can understand. My family might be six generations removed from something, whereas yours might only be one or two. So having those conversations is not harmful. In fact, they're actually helpful. And when we don't have those conversations, the comparative there is to say the statement that people sometimes make, I don't see color. Well, I ask when people say, I don't see color, I wonder how you get dressed in the morning. If you don't see color, how do you recognize patterns as they go together? Even a person who's colorblind sees some semblance of color. So in order to do that is that you're creating this invisibility of people. I don't see who and what you are. And then you lose the opportunity to find out about the richness of certain things. Oftentimes, physicians may have found some treatment, some strange treatment that a family might have done for generations and realize that there's something in that. They don't know what that is, but that's something that they can even take to their researchers and say, hey, these people are using this. This seems to be working. What can we do differently? Is there something in this that's going to help us in the medical community? So we've got to be able to start having these conversations about things that sometimes are uncomfortable to people. Anything different is uncomfortable. However, it is what is different that makes the change for growth and for a path forward. Beautifully stated. Thank you so much. Let's change gears now and dive into what's going on at FACT. As some of our listeners may know, in 2020, FACT's entire team was fortunate enough to participate in a series of customized diversity, equity, and inclusion workshops led by Living in Empathy. We were impacted by these life-changing workshops, and FACT expanded its DEI work. But with you coming aboard, with your leadership, we know we're going to be leveling up. So can you share with listeners FACT's DEI vision for 2022? Some of the things that we want to do this coming year is to be able to provide real resources that people can utilize, things that people can download, things that people can really look at, be able to have some of the conversations that sometimes people simply don't have the words to have with other people. Some of the other things that we want to do is we want to be able to be more in tune with having real conversations with the community. Sometimes those conversations might be hard conversations, but we're prepared to have some of those hard conversations and to really make change and to really be able to hear what people are going through, what people are experiencing and what people need is sometimes you've got to be able to hear some things that might be uncomfortable for your brain. And so we're ready to do some of those things to be able to hear from the community to say, what is it you need from us? What are we doing that we're doing well? What are we doing that we'd be doing more of? And what aren't we doing that you would like to see, that you would like to hear, that you actually need to make your quality of life better, your experiences better? And the same thing for the medical community, being able to have some conversations with them as well, because a physician may have some challenges that they have to navigate in learning about their patients and in learning themselves also about diversity, equity, and inclusion and how to actually infuse that into patient care. But we have to remember that they're humans as well. And many of them in the medical community also have experienced some things that they have to deal with. And having those real conversations with them so that we can understand that, I think that those sorts of things are going to be great going forward. We're also going to be working on some things with staff. Diversity, equity, inclusion now has kind of shifted and it's more EDI than it is DEI. And it's more equity, diversity, and inclusion because 
we can have the diversity, but without the equitable portion, it's just not there. But that has to start on the inside. I can put makeup on my face all day long, but what do I look like on the inside? And that actually starts with fact staff. So it's not a one-stop shop. Diversity, equity, inclusion is not a one-shot deal. We have to continue to keep this going because we all have different experiences. So there will be internal work that's actually being done. In fact, in addition to the work that we're going to be doing externally to support our communities and all of our stakeholders. This is fantastic. Obviously, I'm super biased because I'm going to benefit very quickly from all of this. But I'm also just so thrilled for our community that we're able to do this together. Like you said, internally, externally. And I'm just so grateful for you being here with us because you're an expert in this area and you are a food allergy parent. Absolutely. And as a food allergy parent or a parent of an allergic child, right? Um, you know, we have to take into consideration that there are some differences there also. It's no secret. And studies have shown this over and over and over again about certain, you know, different communities not really being very well heard when they have complaints about their health and things of that nature and things being brushed to the side. Imagine that magnified by having a child that has life-threatening food allergies and not being heard simply because of who you are in addition to the fact that you've got this issue and then suddenly you're faced with this and you have to make some decisions and how do behaviors change? How do we make connections? How do we do those sorts of things? So we want to look at the intersectionality of it all. For some people that might seem so foreign, why wouldn't a doctor listen to you? Why wouldn't a nurse listen to you? Why wouldn't a family member listen to you? Because it's not just the medical community, it's people in our own families as well, in schools and different places. And the reality of it is, is that again, Your experience and my experience might simply be different, but because they're different and it's not the norm for you, don't invalidate my experience. And we don't want to invalidate other people's experiences. We want to be able to hear those and see what we can do to begin to start to change the norm on that and create a new narrative. Thank you so much again for being here and committing to really bring us to the next level. Switching gears slightly, Black History Month is here. And there are so many ways to honor and uplift some of the great people in history in modern times. Do you have any suggestions for celebrating this month with our families and friends and coworkers? Absolutely. The interesting thing about Black History Month, just like, you know, you see lots of other history months, Asian History Month and Spanish Heritage Month and things of that nature, Jewish heritage, is that people often think that it's just about the people who are within that culture or within that ethnicity and that maybe because I'm not Jewish, I can't celebrate Jewish Heritage Month, right? But I can always be an ally. I can always get to know more. I can always get to understand more. So if I'm a person who believes that DEI is something that's divisive, then perhaps during Black History Month, I can go and find out why people feel that they need to have this this space to be able to feel safe, this space to be able to talk about some of the historical accomplishments of people who worked in the civil rights movement. And people have to remember things when it comes to that as well. Not everybody who worked in the civil rights movement was a Black person, right? Not everyone who worked against slavery and mistreatment of the Jewish community and Asian communities were of those cultures and ethnicities. There are plenty of other people, abolitionists, that came in to help other people. So when we celebrate Black History Month, it's really just getting to know the culture. Contact the MLK Center. There's stuff that they're doing online. Read some books. Find a list of books that you can actually read to enrich your knowledge. There's tons of TED Talks. Oh my goodness, there's so many of them that 
that will give you such information. Have a conversation. And if you see a physician or a nurse or somebody who is exhibiting inclusive behavior, my goodness, celebrate them. Let them know, I really feel seen. I really feel heard. So it's not always just the big things because not everybody's a protester. Not everybody's out here being a politician and doing all these different things, but there's a space for everyone. Maybe volunteer at a school in a community that might underserve. There's so many things that you can do within the level of your comfort when it comes to your safety and within the level of your comfort of how you step out of the zone of being in your day-to-day status quo. Now, how do you personally celebrate this month? I celebrate Black History Month every day. Every every day is Black History Month in my house. And the reason I say that is that we have a very rich culture within my home. We talk a lot about different things when it comes to my activism perspective. I have the opportunity to live in the Atlanta area. So there's very rich culture here. So there's always something that's happening. During that month, I most certainly will be participating in a Black History Month hackathon to be able to get some ideas. Or I will also be participating in some Black History Month NFT events that are actually happening. I will also be doing a lot of work with my daughter and my son within their collective spaces to be able to enrich their knowledge about certain things. We definitely watch more movies and actually have more conversations, even on some social media, posting a lot of different things. And on that note, at the end of the show, I will share our show notes and I'll include your social media handle. So if people want to follow you and see what's going on in the day of Elisa Word, they can do that. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the day of Elisa Word. So (laughs) they can check that out. (laughs) Never a dull moment. (laughs) And that's what we want in life, right? To live it, to enjoy all the richness that's there. I mean, we're in this pandemic but all of this beauty has never changed. Absolutely. People really have to get to a place where we're just operating more out of curiosity. We've got to put the walls down and stop with the defensiveness and all these other things and see humanity. See the little boy or the little girl who is kind to your child or the next child And as they grow up, what changes? Is it us that change? And do we change the children? Do we change them into something else? We have to be able to be more human in what we do. And even if you don't understand someone's struggle, if you don't understand someone's pain, at least have compassion for the fact that it even exists. Beautiful. I could listen to you all day long, but unfortunately, we're coming to the end. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share with listeners? Changing the way that you think and interact with people in the world is not a sprint. It is a marathon. As long as you are working towards the goal of being better, caring better, respecting better, and treating people better, and listening better, then you are on a forward path to making sure that you are a person who embraces all of humanity. 
And there we go, listeners. We have just the perfect ending for a fabulous podcast. Elisa, thank you so much for your time today, your words of wisdom, your energy, your passion. It's just palpable and just good things are ahead of us. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to a great 2022. Well, we look forward to a great 2022 and a great 2022 with you. Before we sign off today, I just want to take one more moment to say thank you to Genentech for sponsoring Facts Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.